if you have your Bibles, grab those. We are going to be in uh, Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter uh, 10 this morning is where we'll find our text. Um, uh, but last week, man, didn't Tyler do a good job? Amen. Amen. Yes, he is here today. I know he is. I saw him back there earlier. I think he's probably with the kids. And so, um, the man did such a great job tackling a very difficult text, if you ask me. Um, and that text uh, is, is one where Jesus gives a command, which I'm happy you did not take literally, uh, because it's more of a figurative uh, thing that he's saying than a literal thing. But what he's trying to do is elevate and show us the seriousness of sin. Uh, and so, uh, as he talked about last week, just sexual sin, and then he leads into um, uh, what Jesus says to do about that. If your eye causes you to stumble or to sin, then pluck it out. Or if your hand causes you to stumble or sin, uh, then cut it off. And so, um, and did a great job uh, tackling that text. I got to watch it online uh, while on vacation, and so that that was good. That it's a different little uh, different little way of doing things. And so, but it was good to still feel connected here even though I wasn't here and it's always good to get back and so if you missed that or any of this series that we're in for the summer you can catch it on our Facebook page online um, you can check it out there and so I'm going to ask you if you would one more time join me as we pray uh, and then we'll just uh, continue to move into what God's got for us this morning so Lord, we just thank you so much for your love and your grace thank you for your word God uh, as we look at your word this morning I pray Lord that you would God, I want to pray the same thing that I pray every week and God, I just so mean it, and I so beg of you to just move in a mighty way, but God, that you would save the lost in this place this morning. God, you would save those that are in the bondage of sin this morning. God, that you would reveal the reality of what's going on in their life, in their heart, as it pertains to this world. God, the, the evil one who uh, rules and reigns here, so he thinks, God, that you would just show us, Lord, expose him for who he is, what he stands for. God, we pray your word speaks. God, we pray that you accomplish a multitude of things here this morning. Oh, God, that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to move and do as he see fits. God, whatever you want to do in this place, whatever you want to say, however you uh, want people to respond, God, may you stir their hearts, press upon their hearts. God, may repentance be had. May a deeper longing and love for you be gained. Jesus, we need you. Interpret for us what you have to say. Thank you again this morning for this morning. God, be with those hurting in the states that have experienced horrific loss. God, be for them in this moment all they need. God, for us too here in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so we're in this series called Jesus Said What? Um, and so we're just going to look at the things that Jesus says that just maybe don't make sense in our context or in our setting or in our culture. Uh, maybe some of the things that are hard to understand, some of the things that, uh, that would really just, just challenge us. The difficult things that Jesus says, well, we're just going to dive into and we're going to unpack and really see what he means, what he's saying. And so uh, when many people come to Jesus, they come to him for a specific role they want him to play. They already have expectations uh, and ideas uh, associated with how they think Jesus should be, how they think Jesus should talk, uh, the things that they think Jesus should do. And so it's almost as if like Jesus is this kind of divine snuggie for them, for us. We, we just wrap him up and get nice and warm and he just does for us everything that he's never promised. We expect him to do those types of things, as I said, he never promises. And so what happens is when Jesus says the difficult things or Jesus says the hard things, we get a little uneasy. Kind of almost like we probably all have that friend. Like if you go out with that friend, you never know what that friend may say. You laugh because you know what I'm talking about, 
right? Like you've got the one friend that's just, that'll just spout off in a moment and just say something that will make you uncomfortable, say something that'll make you want to kind of uh, draw up, maybe wish that you wouldn't have went out with him that night to dinner, whatever the case may be. We all have that one friend, and it would appear in the scriptures, like Jesus is good to be around most of the time, but then there's those times where he has that, uh, Jesus, please, please, Jesus, just tone it down a little bit, or Jesus, don't, don't say that, or, or Jesus, do you know who we're around or who we're with? And so when it comes down to it, you either let Jesus be who he is or you reject Jesus and you walk away. And so if you're going to come to Jesus, you've got to come to him understanding who he is, knowing good and well who he is and what he has to say. And so we don't get to edit parts of Jesus that we don't like. We don't get to remove pages or sayings or phrases or conversations that he has that may make us uneasy. We don't get to do things like that. So the things that we look at, that we've been looking at in this series, are just the statements that Jesus makes that will confront us with the hard parts, the hard truths, the things that we need to know about ourselves, the things we need to know about Jesus and his expectations of us. And so today, I just believe a lot of things will be answered. A lot of things will be answered for us. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of things will be answered for us in, in the why. As I was watching some of the news feed yesterday before we uh, got in the car to head back, um, one of the reporters was talking about, well, we don't have the why that this person did this yet. And, and you always kind of see that in the interviews and the, and the things leading up to. They want to they talk to the person, to the one that has done this. They want to find out the why, the motive behind the reason the person did the horrific thing that they did. Always want to know. And, and I believe today is going to shed a ton of light and answer that question for us. So as we jump into Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 17, and then we'll go back for a second, and then we'll jump back into our text. <laughs> but Luke 10, 17 says this. It says that the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, how amazing is that? You've got these 72 disciples of Jesus who had been sent out, and they, they say, even the demons listen to us. Even, even the demons listen to these disciples as a result of Jesus' one authority, and as a result of Jesus' authority in them and their fellowship of Jesus. The demons just shudder and stop, and they, they listen to what they have to say. So my question is, what brings us to this point? How did we get to this point? So Luke chapter 10, verse 1, let's start there, and then we'll jump back in and reinsert ourselves into the story here in a moment. Luke 10, 1 says this. It says, after the Lord had appointed 72 others, and he sent them out ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So it's almost like kind of like John the Baptist stuff here. He's like, like forerunners. They're, they're going into the cities and places that he's going to be in there. They're proclaiming. They're telling uh, already of the good news of the one coming. Uh, they're sharing all of those type of things. Jesus is coming, who he is, all those kinds of things. Verse 2, and he says to them, the 72 that he sends out, he says to them, and George, hear this because I believe that this is, very prevalent in our day as well. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I mean, just listen to that for a moment. I mean, that's great news for us in this room this morning. Jesus is saying that there is a harvest out there just ripe and ready for the picking, waiting for us to collect it, but there's not enough people to go get it. Not enough people to go, think about that for a moment. 
I mean, we live in a world that is as dark as it's ever been to our knowledge, to our knowing or living in it. It's as dark as it's ever been. The sin that just runs rampant in the streets, the things that are happening in our culture, in our world, what our culture dictates is good and right, all of the things that takes place. Well, the same thing's happening in this culture, in this context as well. The day is just as dark. The deeds are just as evil. All of the stuff that's happening, all the rulers that are wicked and crooked and self-seeking, no different. No different than the world we live in. We just, we just got some different toys than they had. We just have some different ways of doing things that, than they had. So same context, same story, same world, not much has changed. Same people in the story. And Jesus says, man, there's this great harvest out there just waiting to be collected. Waiting to be collected. It's funny, we're from West Virginia, and so mom and dad will always call, and mom always wants to know, like, what, what season is it, son? And I'm like, well, mom, you know what season? It's summer. No, 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 that's not what she's talking about. When she calls and asks what season, it's strawberry hill time is what she's talking about. Are we in the strawberry season? Have we got to peaches yet? What about some blackberries? The cantaloupes are to die for. Like, that's what she's talking about. She knows what season we're in. It's summer because it's hot everywhere. She knows that, but she's talking about the fruit-type season. What's out there for them to pick and get for us to come get? And it's almost it's, it's as if that's what Jesus is talking about here. And there's a world out there ripe for the peaking that need him. The harvest is lost souls, but there's just not enough people to collect them. There's not enough people to go talk and share and tell and so what we see here is that church witnessing is necessary. Us telling people of Jesus is so necessary. And why would we not whenever he makes a promise like this? Whenever he says things like this, he guarantees people are going to come to faith. What is the greatest thing that you want to happen in, in your lost friend's life? Them to come to know Jesus. And what he says is here's the harvest is plentiful. And there's a ton of people that don't know Jesus as Savior we have got the greatest message. A ton of people. There's not enough of us to go out and get them. He says that the harvest is plentiful. Guarantees people will come to faith. We just need to go. We need to share. So this is what he's done with his 72 that he sent out before him. He's telling them this. He's, he's, he's amping them up. He's stoking them up. And then he tells them this in verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. This is where I'd want to pump the brakes for a second. Jesus, can, can you repeat? I'm slow, but can you? Jesus, I thought that I heard you say, we're lambs, they're wolves. I know you had to have that all wrong probably, so you probably memorized this speech and you're doing great at it, Jesus. Just give it a go one more time. That, that's where I would be. And you know what? He would have said the exact same thing that he had just said there in verse 3. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Like, do you know what a lamb is in this culture, in this context, in this setting? Lambs, they are puny. They are weak. They are helpless. They are vulnerable. They can do nothing for themselves on their own. And by the way, they're food. Lambs are food, especially for what Jesus connects it to here in verse 3, in the midst of wolves. Wolves are mean, they're cunning, they're ferocious, they're hungry, and they like to eat, and they love a good, good uh, rack of lamb. And what does Jesus tell his disciples? The harvest is out there, man, it's plentiful. There's a ton that need to know me, need to come to me, because I'm going to send you out like lambs. And, and that's the thing, like you would never see lambs just, they would never, they'd always have a shepherd, 
Why? Because the shepherd would protect. The shepherd would keep guard of. The shepherd would love and walk with and lead and, and, and take, uh, take them where they need to go. So Jesus sends them out. He doesn't hold back. And that's what I love about Jesus. I don't know where you're at in your faith with him. I don't know where you're at uh, in this faith journey. But that's, that's, I just absolutely love the scriptures. Whether you believe them or don't believe them, it's stuff like this that just makes me love them all the more. Because Jesus doesn't bust onto the scene and kind of sugarcoat it. Okay, I'm going to kind of make you like this um, hybrid of a lamb so you're not quite as, no, no, you're, you're lambs. Like you're not like a hybrid or like a cool lamb or like one that's, that's cunning and kind of above all that. No, 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 you're a lamb and there's wolves out there is what he says. And wolves, they want to do nothing but devour and destroy and kill and get rid of. They're hungry and cunning. And he just tells them the truth. And you know what the 72 do? They go at it anyways. They do what Jesus calls them to do. So I just love that about Jesus. I love that. He doesn't dumb down the cost of following him or being his or the danger in living for him. I don't know, like if we just sang that song, if this life I lose, I will still follow you. Like we sing that cute and comfy here in America in our nice little sanctuary that's got this nice little uh, AC kicked on and the comfy little chairs with lights and screens and, and live instruments and all of this. And we sing that and we lose the meaning behind what we sing. Like for me, for me this morning, this may go all morning. I don't know. I've been on vacation, so I've got a lot, just you know. So, like for me this morning, whenever, whenever they pulled the song up, Oh, How He Loves, I'm like, Are you kidding? We're singing this one again? Like, like you know, that song came out like, like six, seven, eight years, ten. I don't know how long. It's been out for a while. I'm like, Are you serious? We're going to sing that one? And you know what God says? Like, Scott, do you, do you not know the words to this? No, because I've become familiar with what the words are. I've become familiar with, I've sang it so many times. I know, oh, he's jealous for me. He's like a hurricane. I'm a tree bending beneath uh, the wind and the way of his mercy. I, I, I know it. I've sang it a million times. I don't need to screen. And I've got complacent in what he's saying. I've got complacent in what I'm singing and shame on me because that's sin. I mean, that's, that is a powerful song. He is a hurricane. Do you know what hurricanes do? Like, have you ever seen the wake of a hurricane? I mean, there's still places in our world that's rebuilding from a hurricane. And we just saying, oh God, you're this hurricane, and I am a tree bending beneath the weight and the wind of this, of all that you are. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And we sing that, and we just, we wax over because we become so familiar with it. We lose the weight of the meaning of following Jesus. Those little songs, those kinds of things, and that's what I find just so refreshing. I don't know where you're at this morning on the fence with your faith. I just don't believe every Sunday that everybody that gathers here knows Jesus personally as their Lord and Savior. So I don't know where you're at on the fence. But, but I just want to be completely open and honest. Every time I stand up here, following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Following Jesus is this many of the day, your lamb, and there are wolves everywhere, and they want to devour, kill, and destroy. But what I've learned is this. As difficult and as hard, frustrating and aggravating from time to time that it is following Jesus Oh, it is so sweet because the Savior, the shepherd that we're talking about here this morning for us dumb lambs, he goes right along with us. 
He goes right along, and he leads, and he cares for. And you know, when dumb old Scott falls over the same old log or trips and gets in the same ravine that he always gets in, the loving shepherd is always there to run and pick me up and carry me back to the fold. Every time. So he just doesn't hold back. Jesus is up front with the cost, and he tells them. Verse 4, he says this, and then he gets a little even crazier. Okay, you had me at the lamb and the wolf thing, but then he goes a little bit further in verse 4. He says, don't even take any money bags. No knapsacks, sandals to greet anyone on the road. None of that stuff. And he goes on and he tells them, if you go to a house and they don't want you there, then just dust your feet off and go. Because there will be one that will take you. And he just outlines and he tells them all of this stuff to just tell and to share about him. And if they want nothing to do with it, well, then you just dust your, the dust off your sandals and you keep going. And then he gives this little clause there in, in uh, 13. And he says, man, woe to those cities that want nothing to do with who I am, with who you are and what you're coming for. Woe to them. But he tells them all of that. He tells them, man, I'm going to provide. I mean, how... How crazy is that to think that you're going to go on this journey? You're not going to, like, like, like we, there's four of us, and we took like a car full of luggage. And two of them are under seven, you know? And, 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 and like we took more under, we took enough underwear from my three and a half year old that we could probably put underwear on everybody in the sanctuary. <laughs> because you don't want to be there and not have enough, you know? I, I mean, and so they're going, they're going out, before, and he said, don't take anything, nothing. I mean, what faith is that? I mean, can you think about that for my, I'm not going on vacation with no undies for my boy, you know? Like, God, I trust you and I believe in you. Nothing, just go is what he said. I'll provide, I mean, what, oh, what faith. No money bag, no knapsack, just trust him to provide all that you need. So now back to the group of 72. They're back here with Jesus, and let's pick back up in verse 18. And so he gets back, and this is what Jesus says to them when they, when they return. It wasn't a, hey, how you doing? Hey, miss you? Hey, boys, how was everything out there? Like I saw this one time. where None of that. There's like no, none of that stuff. He just jumps right in. He says this in verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What? Jesus, I missed you too. Things were great out there. The camel's doing fine. We're good. I mean, nothing. No, no, nothing. He just jumps right into it. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. They probably have a little bit better understanding of who Satan is now, don't they? They probably are starting to get it a little bit better that there's this great battle between light and dark. That evil is amongst them. And Jesus just jumps into it. What we know in the scriptures is this, is that Satan is mentioned 250 separate times in the New Testament. 250 times in the New Testament. And here he's giving them uh, very clear instructions about how to engage. He's just giving it to them. He's, he's going to uh, take... Tell them that Jesus, that they need to take Jesus and the New Testament seriously. Church, we have to take this serious. We, we have to get our minds and hearts around this. Though it doesn't give us a ton of information here about Satan. He, Jesus mentions Satan and talks about him here. Gives us a little bit of a clue from where he came from. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What we know about Satan is this, is that he was one of the most high, highest archangels that rebelled against God, and he's cast out of heaven as a result of that, as him wanting the glory and honor of God. And so he takes a third of the angels with him. And so Scripture never really gives us a great detailed account of that. We have to piece, piece that stuff together from various Scriptures. But Isaiah 14 kind of gives us a little glimpse into what happens. Isaiah 14, 12, it'll be on the screens for you. It says this. It says, How you are fallen from heaven. 
O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, and you, uh, you who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And so what we know about context and about the scripture here, it's actually about a human king who, who rebels against God. But what does Isaiah do? He brings it back around and he shows us this. We look through him and see the real enemy behind him. That's what we see. We don't fight flesh and blood, church. We don't have problems with other people. We have problems with the darkness of this age. That's what we have a problem with. And so what we see all throughout this scripture here in Isaiah is this little phrase, I will. That's just the heart of Satanistic rebellion. That's what it is. I will, mine, me, my, the selfishness is what it is. I will instead of God will, or instead of God's will. So ever since he and the fallen angels have come to earth, Satan and those fallen angels, he's been trying to compel anything and everything to follow him. Anything and everything to be a part of his rebellion. And so we as fallen people, we've joined in that rebellion. We have joined up with, we have followed, we have bowed to the, his authority over us. And so my question for us this morning is, what's Satan doing? What is he up to? Because the thing I love about the scriptures, the thing I love about Jesus is this, is he doesn't just tell us that we have an enemy, he tells us about our enemy. He gives us kind of like the, the, the play sheet of, of what he's going to do, what he's going to be about, his, his motives, his heart, how he does what he does, why he does what he does. He lets us know what Satan is doing, like, like, John, like Jesus over in John 8, 44 calls him the fathers of lies. He calls him the father of lies. So you know that Satan's going to lie to you. He's going to tell you yes every time. Every time. You should do this. You should do this. It doesn't bring glory to God. Who cares? You deserve it. You are great. You are awesome. You've worked so hard. People hate you. They're mean to you. It's always their fault. It could never be you. Always, always, always he's going to contradict what God says. He's going to lie to you every time and make you think every time that you're all and everything that you'll ever need. Just, just know that. Just know he's going to lie to you. First Timothy 4.1 says that he corrupts the truth and concocts false doctrines. He corrupts. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen through 15 says this, that he gives false teachers the ability to imitate signs and wonders. That he empowers false teachers to do things that they normally couldn't do that would emulate and look a lot like what Jesus would do. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 tells us that he tempts the saints. Saints are not those that are dead. He can't tempt the dead. They're gone. He's talking about believers, current believers. He tempts the saints. And he says, second, or 1 Corinthians 7, 5, there tells us specifically with the illicit sex. The very thing that we looked at last week, that Tyler talked about last week. That's him. He just, he just tempts, and he throws out there, and he shows, and he tries to lure away. That's what he does. 2 Corinthians 2, 11 tells us that he turns unresolved anger into bitterness in the heart of God's people. Unresolved anger which, if we leave it set long enough, turn into bitterness. And a lot like what Tyler talked about last week, who's murdered in the place? Who's had, heart, had hate in their heart towards someone? That's murder. 
That's what Satan does. No, you shouldn't go fix it with them. You know they've got to be wrong. You're right. Your, your way of thinking has to be right. I cannot believe that they did that to you. Do you know what they deserve? Do you, that's, that's what Satan does. You know what they deserve, right? What they should get, what they should have. And I know the right one to do it, and it's you. Those are the types of things that Satan tells us and lies to us and shows us. And if we don't resolve that, it'll turn into bitterness. First Thessalonians 2.18 tells us that he puts obstacles in the way of people trying to tell other people about Jesus. I mean, think about it for a minute. How many times has that happened to you? You had the intention of sharing the gospel with your coworker. You've had the intention of loving on somebody at the restaurant and sharing a little bit of Jesus with them. All the while, you leave and you've never said a word. And when you finally get in the car, you finally get home and you're like, ah, darn it. And you walked in with every intention. Satan does that to us. Revelation 12.10 calls him the accuser of the brethren, which means he loves to remind you when you mess up and what you've done. You ever feel defeated in your sin? Like, I'm 35 years old, saved at 11. I'm 20-something years into this thing, and I'm like, are you kidding me? This again? Ah, there's, have you ever had that thought? There's no way I can be saved. How can I be saved pastoring a church and do that, or think that, or react that way, or talk that way, or look at that, or run after that? How in the world... And all it is is saying, like, yeah, you're right, brother. How can you be saved? What a pathetic, pitiful little pastor you are. If those people knew you, that's why you need to hide this. That's why, let's just tuck it away for a little bit. Let's put it in your pocket. Let's leave it there. You can manage it. See how the lies just continue to just build up? That's why I want accountability. That's why I have people in my life that I don't hold anything back with. That's why I've got somebody that I talk to weekly about the thoughts, the things that people don't even see. The stuff that runs through my mind, through my heart, i got to get that junk out because if it just sits there dormant, you saw, I just told you what it'll turn into. Lust will become a reality and I'll run after it, whatever it is that I'm lusting for and wanting. That's what I, so I need accountability. I want people to love me enough through things. Romans 16, verses 17 through 20 says that he sows discord and division among God's people. Never done that, has he? I've never been involved with a bad church. Where people just don't love me and care for me the way that they should. Never, right? Ever. We won't go into story time. This is not testimony time. But that's what Satan does. Romans 16, 17 through 20 tells us. He moves in them God's people to rebel against their leaders. 1 John 3.10 calls him the father of hatred and a murderer at work in the rulers of the world. 1 Timothy 3.6 says that uh, Paul says he, is puff, he puffs Christian leaders up with pride so that they will fall. That's what he, that's what he wants leaders to do. That's, uh, he wants me to be arrogant and prideful and think, man, how great I am. And thank God he's given me a good wife that will pop that bubble in a moment. And he's put plenty of you in my life to help keep me humble. You know what I'm saying? But that's what he wants us to do, be puffed up. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, he brings to the minds of unbelievers the pride of other faults of Christian leaders so that they won't take the gospel seriously. That's what he does. I don't know if you've been aware, but this week uh, there was just a, what we would consider a very strong man of the faith this week that has fallen. Joshua Harris. Anybody ever read that book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye? You dirty daters. 
That's not a trick. Back, I think, I think it was the 90s, he comes out with this book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and he was talking about how we need to get to courtship, biblical courtship. That dating is a thing of the world, and we need to be careful because what it does is it opens us up to uh, just sexual, uh, sexual type stuff that can come in a moment if we're not careful, we're not guarded, and we're not. Uh, he, he was real big on the purity movement, real, real big on that. And so, I, like, I can remember the book. I can, I've read it. I've, I've looked at it. It was something that was really, really big in my time. It was, it was really, really big just, just throughout. And um, but like I said, he, he was big about saving yourself, Wait, waiting. Don't, don't just go around dating everybody. Don't just go around uh, being in those kind of relationships, putting yourselves in positions where it would be easy to mess up and to stumble and to fall. Like I said, keep yourself uh, sexually pure is what he's talking about. Only to find out, I think in the last week, he'd made a, an announcement on his Instagram account or Twitter account, some account, that him and his wife are splitting up, that divorce is coming. And then this week, we're, we're coming off the beach, and my brother-in-law and I were talking, and he uh, he'd made the comment about, did you see what he said? I said, what else, what else has happened? What's, what's going on? He said that he's renounced his faith. He said he's no longer a Christian. He's not a believer. This whole Jesus thing, that there's, he doesn't quite buy into it, doesn't quite believe it, that there's, uh, there's many different ways to practice faith, and that he's trying to figure some things out. I said, do you know what that's done to a ton of people that bought into the his dating goodbye. He, I mean, he was a pastor of a megachurch. I'm thinking up in Maryland, maybe, Baltimore area. I mean, I mean megachurch. Do you know what that's done to people? I, I just want to echo what Paul says. You follow me as long as I'm following Jesus. Whatever I do should not derail anyone from here because you don't follow, you don't follow, golly. <laughs> that's what vacation will do to you. You're gone a week and you pick up your old habits. You, you don't, I'm nobody's savior. You don't, you follow me as long as I'm following Jesus. If I go off the deep end and I start to renounce Jesus and I start to say that any kind of relationship's okay and, and any kind of sexual stuff, fine, you do whatever feels right and feels good. You, no, because my word means nothing. The only word that matters is, is God's word, his perfect, inerrant, valuable word. That's what we hinge everything on. Not, not some dumb preacher that's going to stand up here that, again, is, 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 is a, um, in the flesh that battles day in and day out like everybody else. You follow me as long as I'm following Jesus. And that's why I always want checks and balances. I always want people to call me and ask me and check on me. Scott, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Because do you know how easy it would be to fall into that line? They just want to be happy. And so one of the things in the, in the post that I read was about the LGTB community and how he felt so horrific for them. Hear me, I feel bad for them too. Why? Because chances are they're probably lost. And they need Jesus. So yes, we should feel bad. But no, I'm not going to dumb down what God's word says. God's word says one man, one woman for a lifetime. But a woman just doesn't make me happy. I don't care what makes you happy. God's not interested in you being happy. He's interested in you finding joy. And that joy is only found in him. And what I know is that there's a way that seems right to man, but the ends in death is what the scriptures teach. And that is not popular preaching you know how much trouble I would get into this morning somewhere? I'm not making new stuff up. I'm just, I am just echoing what's been said down through the end of time. 
That's what I'm doing. And that's what I'm going to stand for. So hear me. We've got to guard ourselves not to follow a man. The only man anybody in this room follows is Jesus. You got it? The only one that you sell out everything for is Jesus. Not a good book, not a good mega pastor, not a halfway decent pastor in bulls, none of that stuff. You follow Jesus with everything in you and you stick to his word regardless of what some man says. Now how we should respond to him should be of heartbroke. We should pray for him. And only time will tell whether he was really saved or not, whether he knows Jesus is savior or not. Time will tell. So we pray for repentance. That's what we pray for. We pray that he's just taking his eyes off of Jesus for a moment and that God will, will, will rescue him back up, that will, will correct him and convict him of sin. That's what we pray for. But we're heartbroken. We don't throw him under the bus. We don't beat him up. No, we pray for and love like Jesus would. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that he binds the mind of unbelievers. Think about the, uh, the seed and the sower. Some fell on some ground, some didn't. Some, and as Jesus describes what happens in that parable, it says that, that, that Satan swoops in and takes it from the mind of believers. 1 Thessalonians 3.5 says that he attacks faith wherever he finds it. See, Ephesians says that he ensnares the believers in their sin so they get addicted to him. He, he wants you to dabble in sin. Remember, he's a good liar. Satan wants you to have what your flesh longs for. Dabble in it for just a little bit. And I, and I know the cute little lies, well, I can quit anytime I want to. Said every addict in the whole wide world, right? I can quit sinning whenever I want to, then prove it. Stop. I can quit looking at those things, well then quit. I can quit talking like that, then we'll stop. I can quit, I can quit doing what, whatever the sinful act is, whatever it may be. Satan wants, you, you, you can tame the little animal. Cute little, cute little thing that it is. Keep it on a, on a, on, on a string. That's just the lie of Satan. So Satan real and active. It sure would seem so here with Jesus, the way that he talks about him, the way that scriptures make light of him. I think that all that we just saw from the scriptures would say, yes, absolutely, he's alive and, and well and, and wreaking havoc in our world. It just doesn't take much to look around our world to realize that, does it? I mean, I mean just in the last 24 hours, the horrific, the horrific tragedy that's taken place. Oh, how we can see that. How can we not just look at this world and realize and know that something more than just flesh and blood is at work? I mean, I mean, you can just look at certain chapters of human history and say, I mean, how could have that ever happened? How could we have let that happen? The Rwanda genocide. Lives just being taken and just murdered for no reason. What, what about World War II, Nazi Germany? I mean, how could we allow stuff like that to happen? The cruelty that we see in Sudan or, or the Taliban. Think about that for a moment. What about slavery? I mean, can we just talk? How, how can we set by and be, oh, well, that's okay for someone else to own someone else like that? How can we just set by with that kind of stuff? What about the abortion epidemic that's still happening in our country? And, and thank God for law people that are fighting it. Thank God for church people who are praying like crazy. Thank God. Like, like let me tell you what we got to do two weeks ago at JP. We take up a love offering every year for a ministry in our community. And so we got to give to the CPC, the Carolina Pregnancy Center, who's on the front lines fighting against abortion, fighting for the family, investing in men and women. We got to give them $500 to their ministry. A bunch of uh, no-good-nothing teenagers brought 500 bucks one night. And they're, they're, that was a big, you're not, you are real good. You hear me? Like, I'm for you. <laughs> I'm just trying to 
amp it up a little bit, you know. You keep loving Jesus and doing what you're doing. 500 bucks. I know this past year we raised about $1,000 in little bottles, pennies. That's a lot of pennies. To give to the CPC in their bottle fundraiser where we take that bottle and we give. To fight against this. May God not look at us and be like, why didn't you? No, 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 God, we want to be active in the fight. We want to be involved. We, we want to do things like that. Fight that. Every life matters. Why is there things like child pornography, uh, the sex slave trade? Uh, how do those things happen? How do they gain traction? Like I was talking to a good friend this week, and we were, we were talking, and they were on vacation, and we, we got to see each other, and uh, they were just sharing about a story of someone that they had bumped into there at the beach and how uh, at Myrtle Beach, like, like, like sex uh, trade slavery is, is, is rampant. How this person was in a store and got to talking to a lady and how her daughter was just taken in a relationship by a guy. And got involved into this, pretty much being pimped out to whoever, whenever, if the price is right. And it was disguised by love at first. She gets taken, and this woman has vowed to spend her life fighting for the gospel and pushing back the darkness as it pertains to sex slavery, to trafficking. I mean, how is it still out there? Church, we've got to step up because there's a dark player in the game. See, there's something greater at work in the world than just human dysfunction and bad parenting. There's going on than just dysfunctional families, bad parenting, or just a bad day at play. We've got a real enemy that we fight. So is Satan real? Yes, absolutely. Why isn't he more obvious? Because in the scriptures, it seems like demons are a lot more visible than, uh, in Bible times than today. Do you know what I've learned is that Satan is not interested in being recognized. He's much more concerned in your destruction. He doesn't care who gets credit. He just wants you to be destroyed. He wants you to be devoured. Satan is happy if he can just get rid of you, if he can shut you up, if he can get you not to say anything, if he can get you just to, to be a part of his regime. See, 1 Peter 5, 8 says it like this. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary is a devil, is the devil prowling around like a roaring lion, sinking someone to devour. The main point in that verse is this, is that he's a hunter. He seeks prey. He wants to devour you. That's what he wants to do. This week I had, a, had an opportunity to golf one day, and as, as we're golfing, uh, we come up uh, by this little, like, um, little pond beside some condo type things. It's like a pond. Um, and I kind of make the joke to uh, my father-in-law. I said, hey, uh, you think there's any alligators in there? It's like the water's murky, and there was this little lady over there kind of walking her dog. It was so cute, like this little like poochie dog thing, and walking it. I'm like, you think there's any alligators? And we pull up to the tee box, and you just see eyes. Ah! <laughs> yeah, real live alligator. It was there. And do you know what? You would have, it would have been so easy to kind of just get in the water, not to think about it, or get up close, and there it would be. And there, ah. I hear they're opportunistic eaters is what they tell me. The, like, National Geographic Document, documentaries and stuff, that's what they're opportunistic. So you get close enough, and the opportunity is right, they're going to eat you, is, is what I hear. And so... Um, so you want to be very careful. But Satan's the same way. He just kind of lays at bay. Have you ever seen that lion hunt? I mean, you don't see him come running from miles off. Okay, here comes a dumb lion. Let's go. No, 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 no. He's behind the weeds, creeps up behind the rock, just kind of lays wait, lets you get bored for a little while and forget that he's there. And then what happens? You stumble into where he's at. 
he devours, he pounces. You know, he's got you in his jaws. You're helpless. You become a meal now. You become food. He's a hunter, man. He seeks us as prey. He wants to destroy us. And so I guess maybe my thought this morning is this. What if he's at work in your life now in, in temptation? What if he's at work right now in your life you don't even know? Maybe it, it okay, I'm going to try to document or illustrate something. Anybody carry a wallet with money in it? Like real cash? Like anybody got cash on this morning? All right, all right. Um, would anybody be willing to make it, let's make a deal. I know I've kind of set this thing up bad now to try to pull this off, but we're, we're still going to go with it because I, I just I want to sweeten it for you a moment because like at the first of the month we get paid here, like you know, like all in one lump sum at the beginning of the month. And I've I've got a few credit cards, um, and and so the money I spent on vacation was last week, last month's money, um, and so I just anybody will and I'll and I'll, I'll anybody want to make a deal? Cash carriers, anybody? You can have it. I just want to trade you for your straight-up trade. You can keep your cards and all that stuff. I just want to go, let's go cash for cash. Anybody at all? Did I see a hand? Maybe? You teetering with it? Dude, look. Look, at it's there. Like, I've even got it flopping out. <laughs> It'll be so good. Push it all back down in there. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you right now, there, there is money in here. So if any, anybody, anybody want to take a deal? Like I know you're thinking. Like there's people in here back. Please let somebody do it. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. All right, 100, 200. I'm just saying, there was a deal, man. There was a deal to be made. 200, 300, 400, some cards. All right. But see, that's what Satan does. He wants to entice you. Let's make a deal. Let's make a little trade. You don't know what's in it till you get it. Let's get close enough to grab it, play with it. Let's do what we need to do with it. That's what he does. Like, what if he's, he's hovering near your computer, providing you with the opportunity to cheat? What if that's him doing that? What if, what if, uh, what if he were the one trying to make you divorce so appealing and reasonable to you? What if, what if that's what he's trying to lie to you and share with you? Nothing destroys the family in a church more than unbiblical divorce. Nothing. Dad, what if, what if he's after your kids and you don't even know it? What if he wants to destroy your kids and get them addicted to something or draw them away and you're not even involved in it? He's probably, he's probably excited that you've got family on autopilot, that you've got your kids consumed in everything and with everything but God. He wants that. What if, what if he, he were the one trying to tell you that death's a good thing, make you feel like you have to have that nice car, have to have that nice outfit, or have to have that nice stuff, because when you're in debt, options become so limited. Well, what if that's what he's trying to do? What if he's trying to get you to make the trade this morning? What if he's trying to get you to buy into? So maybe you're here this morning, you're investigating Christianity, but what if he's planting doubts in your mind? But there's good news because the scripture goes on. Look at what God promises. Verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on the serpent and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And he says, nothing shall hurt you. I don't know if you circle or highlight or write in your Bible, but man, that's a great promise to circle and highlight and to have. I've been given you all authority. I've given you not all, but authority to tread on the serpent, scorpion, all of those things. 
What this means is that nothing he does can stop the forward progress of what God's doing in your life. It's the, it's, it's the Joseph story. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What Satan tries to derail and destroy, God can use for good and for his glory. You've been given authority to overrule all that Satan intended for evil for your good. So how do we engage in the demonic? See, this passage doesn't give us a lot of instruction but it, let's keep going and look at what he says. He says, verse 20, Nevertheless, do not, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your, your names are written in heaven. See, Jesus here, he's, he, he consistently directs people away from preoccupation with the demonic. Don't focus on that. Focus on what matters. He never tells us to go out demon hunting or approach the world like an exorcist carrying your cross in some, some holy water. He doesn't do that. No, focus on him. Focus on him. Follow after him. Live for him. Push back the bounds of darkness. And so there's really just one passage in the Bible which outlines for us what spiritual warfare is like. And that's found in Ephesians 6. And you're probably familiar with this. But in that passage, he lists out the weapons of our warfare. And he says things like this. We've got the helmet of salvation. Let the gospel shield our thinking. You want to fight the darkness of this world? You don't want to slip up and mess up, then get in the Word. You, you will always fall for the lie if you don't know the truth. You'll always, because what does he do? He, he masks it like truth. What did he do to Eve in the garden? He, he countered it. He, he made it look so pretty and nice and neatly packaged that it would almost appear as if it was God's words. And he'll take and manipulate. That's what he does with Jesus as he tempts him. He gives us the shield of faith got to believe God's promises is for guard and protection. We get the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We get shoes for our feet. Our feet are covered with readiness to preach the gospel. It's all about God's word. We need to saturate ourselves in the gospel, church. All this has to do with us being covered by the gospel. When we're in the gospel, when we're walking with Jesus, Satan can't touch us. I love what C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, the preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. You want to destroy darkness, you preach the gospel. You want to push back the darkness, you preach the gospel. As the band comes forward and I close this morning, please hear me. I don't know if you've heard anything else here in this place this morning. Hear me, hear me as I say this. Satan loves to fill your mind with discouraging thoughts. He loves to trick he loves to discourage. He loves to manipulate. He loves to lie to. He likes to things, say things like you're a failure. He likes to say things that you'll never be used by God. He likes to say things like you deserve. Like, like you get the only thing that we deserve, right? Is judgment, damnation, hell. We, we, that's what we deserve. But God's grace and mercy has freed us from that, has saved us and ransomed us from that. So he loves to fill our mind with those kinds of things. We've got to counter with the truth of the gospel. Hear me, never, ever forget the way Jesus views you and what he has spoken over you if you've come to him by faith. This is what Jesus says. He says, I have ransomed you, made you my own, and given you a future and a hope. The Lord has promised good to us. His word, my hope secures, is what the scripture teaches. But Satan loves to whisper in our head. He, he doesn't mind. Do whatever feels right, whatever feels good. You deserve, you should. I can't believe you'd be treated like that. And I know he whispers to me all the time. That's why he's called the accuser of the brethren. 
but we've got to drown out his voice with the louder voice, and that louder voice is the gospel. C.S. Lewis says this, and church, this is where we've got to be very, very careful. I don't believe that there's a demon behind every bush, but I don't, I don't believe that there's never a demon ever. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, humanity falls into two equals of opposite errors concerning the devil. Either they take him altogether too seriously or they don't take him seriously enough. Over and in and through and done, does everything or he's not really real and doesn't do anything. Don't give him too much credit all the while forgetting not to neglect him. Don't give him too much credit, but don't, don't forget about him. We've got to stay alert. We've got to be focused on Jesus. We need to love him, to serve him, to grow relationally with him. And one way we do that is by getting in his work, getting involved, having accountability. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know the lies that Satan has whispered in your ear, in your heart, that is causing you to believe. I don't know what's going on, maybe what sin that you're uh, uh, in bondage over or, or what he, he has told you this morning. But what I know is this, is that there's not true freedom found outside of Christ. And life may seem good, and Scripture teaches that sin is good for a season, but then the judgment. And so I don't know what God's stirring in your heart. I don't know what Satan's trying to do or what lie he's trying to feed you or what he's trying to tell you. But what I want to tell you is this, is that Jesus is better. Jesus is so much better. Don't buy the lie. There's no eternity without Jesus. So whatever it is this morning, may God lead you. May his Holy Spirit convict and draw you and guide you, rescue you and ransom you. And don't buy into the lies that if they knew, you know what, if they knew, you know what would happen here in this place if we knew about your deep, darker, darkest sin? We would wrap our arms around you, and I could probably point you to three, four, five, six, ten other people that struggle with the same thing. And do you know how long I have fought pornography in my life? At the ripe old age of ten years old being turned on to it. I have fought it. 35 years old, two kids, married for 12 years, and I still have to fight tooth and nail over that dirty junk that Satan tries to tell me, this is what it should be like. This is what you need to look at. This is what you need to run after. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to get ahead. This is how you need to live. This is the things that you should say. Scott, do you know what they did to you? Same things fill my head and fill my heart, and I have to fight it. If I'm not in God's word, and I don't have people around me who love me like Jesus loves me, I'm doomed. So I don't know what you're stuck in this morning. I don't know what God's doing in your heart or stirring you. But hear me, don't, do not buy the lie that if they know what you do, they will reject you. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. There is nothing in this room that surprises me anymore. I've been around the devil, I know what he does, and I know what he tells you. When there's freedom found in Christ, you run to Jesus. That's where you're made well. That's where you're fixed. That's where your hope is. Not in yourself, not in the promises of this world. God, help us this morning in this place to be open and honest with you, with each other. God, I pray that you heal the sick. God, I pray that you, 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 you bring the dead to life in this place this morning. God, I pray that those that are stuck in bondage and sin here this morning, God, will be set free. God, there's no shame in this place. God, we've all been outed. That's what the cross does. The cross tells us that we're all screwed up and messed up and we've got issues. Every single one of us. The ground's level at the cross. So God, I pray that you set the captive free, that you do a work in this place. God, now that we know our enemy, we know what he's about, we know who he is, we know the lies that he tells us, God, please don't let us sit here 
and believe it one more minute. God, work in this place. And we pray. Amen. They're going to lead us in a song. You come. You pray. If you need somebody to talk to, I'm here. We've got trustees. I'll, I, we will find people that will love when you pray with you, talk with you, do whatever we need to do to see you through whatever it is that you're fighting. Thank you.